I think the deep irony in this potentially a little messed up episode is that Batman might have been the best parent that we talked to. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Parenthood, a topic that I am absolutely not qualified to talk about. And that is the theme for today's episode. Welcome to Keep It Fictional from the Port Moody Public Library. I am Virginia and I'm here with my book friends, Gabriel, Fiona and Corinne. And as some of our listeners know, our two other book friends, Sadie and Liz, have recently become parents. As they embrace their new roles as parents, as they open this new chapter in their life, I thought it would be maybe fun, I don't know, to get a taste of what that is like for the four of us since uh, we are not parents at all. And of course, to do that, we go to our favorite thing, books, to find out what it is like. What is the life for Liz and Sadie like right now? So that is our topic, parenthood. Now, again, I know nothing about it, absolutely no experience. I hear that, you know, sometimes it's really, really fun and you can just feel that love for your child that is just coursing through your vein as you look at your child and the sacrifices that you're willing to make for them and the things you're willing to do for them. I also hear sometimes it could be a little bit challenging. It could be a little bit frustrating, a little bit stressful. Think about the first day of school for them or like the kind of things that you have to do for your kids may not always be um, something that you want to do. So kind of a full spectrum. So I'll be really curious to know from the kind of books that my book friends have brought today, where do they land? What kind of parenthood are we going to get? So why don't we get right into it? Maybe we'll start with Fiona. Okay. <laughs> this will be an interesting place to start. Okay, so first of all, this is probably going to be a pretty personal episode, and I will say uh, that I I have parents, and they are fantastic, so I know that parenting can be a very positive thing. You can have a positive relationship with your parents, because I do, <laughs> um, but I also know that can be very difficult. I know a lot of fantastic people that come from horrible parents. Uh, and it's always that question of how did you get so great when you came from such a tough situation? So I also want to acknowledge that I do hope to be a parent at some point in my life if things go that way. But getting very personal here, the two most tangible fears in my life are flightless birds and postpartum depression. And that is more or less the topic that my book is about. <laughs> and let me tell you, it is a book of deeply, deeply dark, dark humor. So we are starting off on the right foot here. And I will put out a big do not read if you cannot handle parental abandonment, because that is very much the topic of this book. I love you, 
But I've Chosen Darkness by Claire Vey Watkins. I chose this book entirely based on the title. It grabbed me and actually the title with the uh, cover really, really drew my attention. And I knew nothing about it before I picked it up. Oh my gosh, was I in for a ride. So it is fiction. However, the character also is named Claire V. Watkins and has striking similarities to the author. For instance, the author's father was the right-hand man to Charles Manson. She writes about this extensively in her work. I won't go into too many details because I'm, we are going to have an episode on cults. And I know this is Kareen's terrain and we will hear lots more about the Mansons, I'm sure. But it's a pretty intense discussion of parenthood when you consider that the author and main character's father was part of the Manson family. I mean, how are you going to grow up with a father like that? On top of that, Claire's mother is a wayward teen coming from poverty, coming of age in the 70s, and she loves to share what she has learned with her children, which is mostly about visiting houses that are about to be sold and digging up their plants and bringing them to their own garden, tricking unsuspecting men into giving them money, all sorts of grifting. (laughs) To be fair to the author and the character, she has not got a lot to go on with parenting. So the story begins when Uh, Claire has given birth to her first child, Ruth, who is a few months old, and Claire is deep in the throes of postpartum depression. Suddenly, she is, all of these things from her past are crowding into this careful life that she has built with her responsible and deeply, deeply caring and good husband. It is all sort of falling apart as she grapples with her childhood, the loss of her own parents, and the history of her parents, who have very, very difficult histories. Strangely, she struggles a lot more with her mom than with her dad. (laughs) And part of the story is told in letters from her teenage mother sent to a cousin that are harrowing, just awful. They're so, they're so straightforward and, and, you know, a a teen voice where nothing really matters. And yet it's all about drugs, so many drugs and the carelessness with which older men treat teen girls. So it's quite, quite upsetting. And it's easy to understand why Claire is struggling with this this content and history of her mom. I think the bottom line of this book for me was I do not understand the Southwest and I am intrigued to learn a lot more. This story takes place in Nevada outside of Las Vegas 
and it's she grows up sort of in a in a white trash culture essentially um and man white people are scary if you didn't think they were scary before read this book and you will be horrified <laughs> now as i'm saying all of this it sounds like like maybe not a book that you want to pick up but i i really really struggled with it but do not regret reading it it was a picture of a life I, I feel like I understand humanity more after reading it. Like I, I didn't know uh, that people live like this or experience this. Um, and I, th- it felt very valuable to me, even though it's very difficult to struggle uh, with the fact that the author actually, uh, she, she leaves her husband and her, her few month old baby to go on a book tour. And she essentially never comes back. She just keeps meandering and finding new ways to not go home. She runs off planes as they're about to take off and take her back to her baby and her husband and then goes and does more drugs. (laughs) Just like, I feel like I need to talk about it because it was so like... (laughs) Almost like just so much to read. And I'm going to be thinking about it for years to come. I'm trying to think of like more selling points. If you like dark humor, I really like try not to be a voyeur. <laughs> but if if you enjoy that, I know some people enjoy reading about um, about difficult topics and seeing people go through difficult things. You'll enjoy this. Wow. I'm really not selling it, am I? Okay. It also has a lot of literary merit. <laughs> there are a lot of reviews have have really been impressed with with uh, Watkins' use of uh, different lit- literary mechanisms. And 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 to be honest, I feel like I didn't appreciate them as much because I was just taking it as truth. Whereas really, what she's done is constructed this careful narrative about a hopeless woman and sort of her her journey of coming to an understanding about herself. And it does do that very well. It does have a whole, uh, a comeback around that is quite satisfying and worth getting to the end for. So if you are ready for a journey about the dark side of parenting and maybe the desire to, to run away from that responsibility, definitely pick up I Love You, But I've Chosen Darkness by Clara Vey Watkins. Please let me know if you read it. I desperately need someone to talk to about this. There are just so many little things that I don't want to spoil now, but like that I need to be like, what about the teeth? What do you think about the teeth? So let me know what you think about the teeth. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you for telling us about it. Sounds like a pretty difficult read, but thank you for persevering and telling us about it. You sold me on it. I don't know about the others, but yeah, see, Corinne is totally ready. Oh, absolutely. I'm there. We're ready for this. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Totally ready for this. So thank you, Fiona. Why don't we go over to Gabriel? Because I think Gabriel said that there are, maybe it sounds like their book is quite a little bit different. Still maybe probably dark, but maybe a little different. Well, let's find out. Yeah, I would say it's a little different than whatever I just heard. 
I don't know if I was sold on that particular book. It sounds like unpack a lot of things in themselves after having read that. I think that would be the more interesting experience for me than actually reading that particular book. So I also, um, you know, I, I saw I saw the topic for this week and it says parenthood. And I'm like, ah, family drama. No, no, family trauma. So my book this week is actually the first volume of Nightwing from the DC Comics Rebirth run. And the first volume is called Better Than Batman, which I thought was a promising title for some good old family trauma and parenting mishaps. So for those of us in the audience who might be unfamiliar with the grand cast of superheroes that make up the DC universe, Nightwing is Dick Grayson, the first Robin in Batman and Robin. In the Nightwing series, Dick has grown up. He's no longer the young orphan from the circus that Batman had taken under his wing to fight crime and avenge his parents. And there have been other Robins after him, most recently the young Damian Wayne, who's actually Batman's biological child. So Nightwing has continued the Batman family tradition of fighting crime, but this time he's got to go undercover to do it by infiltrating the Parliament of Owls. Yes, it's called the Parliament of Owls, which is a supervillain organization aiming to do some like nefarious shenanigans. Nightwing is able to convince the bad guys. He's able to make them believe that they have some secret leverage over him and can control him because of his ties to the Wayne family. I guess in one of the previous, they make this pretty obvious in the actual uh, comic. If you've, if you've never read comics before, comics are very self-referential. So there will be callbacks to things that might not be in this particular comic or even story, but they'll try to make it easy for you to kind of follow along if you haven't read them all, because usually you can't read all of the comics. It's very difficult. So they understand this, but it mentions that previously the Parliament of Owls had actually implanted a bomb into Damian Wayne's skull and it has been removed. So Nightwing is actually fooling them into thinking that it's still there and that he's still worried for Damian Wayne's life. When in reality, he's kind of he's kind of fooling him. He's doing a little bit of undercover work. Over the course of this particular comic, he's forced into an uneasy alliance with a man named Raptor, who is a pawn of the parliament. Raptor claims to be someone who only has one foot in the darkness and is secretly playing the long game, also aiming to take down the parliament. It's, it's interesting with his particular character because I think he's meant to be a foil to the things that Batman has taught Nightwing over the years because Batman has a very strict moral code, I would say, and has very specific life lessons that he kind of tried to teach Nightwing. And so some of Raptor's character is actually interrogating, I suppose, some of those lessons and some of those morals and then asking, are they really helpful? Is this really the thing that's going to get results? trying to question the way that Nightwing has been been doing things. The other main character in this particular comic is Barbara Gordon, also known as Batgirl. Batgirl really doesn't trust Raptor, doesn't think that Nightwing should either, and it follows Nightwing as he and Raptor begin to unravel the Parliament of Owls conspiracy and begin to secretly foil their plans from the inside. I chose this book for our parenthood episode because I was curious about Nightwing's relationship to the rest of the Batman family. Bruce Wayne is a pretty iconic father slash mentor figure in comic books, known for kind of scooping up and nurturing, with air quotes, kids into crime fighting machines. 
he has a whole host of Robins uh, that he has become the adopted father to. And then sometimes is the literal father to in the case of Damian Wayne. And he also has like a handful of bat girls and other bat children. Not all of them have bat attached to the name. People like Oracle or Huntress. But as I mentioned before, the newest Robin is biologically his son. So when it comes to Batman stories, I think that's something that both myself and other people find most interesting. For me, at least, it really isn't the Dark Knight himself. I'm not a big Batman fan, but I do like the pseudo family unit that they uh, kind of become. And I'm always interested in the way that these sort of not siblings act with each other and with their father figure. This comic, it, it delivers some of that, but nowhere near as much as I was hoping for. That's probably on me. But I was really, when I saw that title and when I was thinking about the, the concept of parenthood for this week's episode, I was really kind of hoping for some um, Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne scenes to really kind of dig my teeth into. And Nightwing does have some great interactions with the rest of the family. Nightwing has scenes with Damien where he's kind of caring for him like an older brother. As I mentioned, there's this point of like emotional leverage that the villains in this have where they think that uh, he's protecting his sort of younger brother figure. There's a scene where they go to the arcade. He has to weather his insults and all the things that come with being the oldest and the youngest sibling. But he also has some really interesting conversations with Batman where he reaches out for aid or advice. And actually Batman turns him away, not because he doesn't care or doesn't want to help, but because he wants Nightwing to feel confident in his own decisions. Bruce Wayne has faith in all his kids. He knows when to step away and to kind of like figuratively and literally in some cases push them out of the nest. That being said, the specter of Nightwing trying not to be Batman and questioning uh, what Batman would do is kind of it's present in the story, just it wasn't, I think, textually represented as much as I was kind of hoping. Uh, he really compares himself to Bruce regularly, and it, it does end up kind of feeling like, a, in some ways, like a coming-of-age story. The bits with Damien and Bruce were absolutely the best parts of the comic, hands down. Maybe it's because, as far as Robins go, I'm actually like a Tim Drake kind of guy, but I really wasn't a fan of the story. It felt like it promised a lot that it just didn't deliver. I found the dialogue really cringy, <laughs> the plot uninteresting, the artwork was fine, nothing special. They made a lot of comments about Nightwing being like charming or funny. And as a reader, I was kind of laughing because I didn't find him to be either of those in this particular book. Um, so it's really a case of wouldn't have benefited from some showing and not telling, I think. But I would recommend the comic to folks who are interested in Batman. And maybe the question of what happens when sidekicks grow up and have to find their path. Maybe you saw the new movie with Edward from Twilight and wanted to get more of The Dark Knight. Might as well give this one a shot. It's not It's not that bad. I make it sound pretty bad. It's just, I think I had hopes for it going in that were not quite what the actual story was aiming to do. So I went into it with something very different than what it actually is intending to be. And regardless of whether you're thinking of uh, it as a story of maybe sidekicks growing up or you just want like a good Batman story. There's better comics for both of these. If you're really interested in Dick Grayson, I saw that a lot of people were recommending Batman the Black Mirror by Scott Snyder, which I guess is a, a pretty good story for the Dick Grayson Robin and Batman. Or if you were looking for more of a coming of age superhero comic and sort of going out on your own, I would actually point you towards other superheroes. If you want to stay in DC, uh, the Teen Titans Raven comic is supposed to be pretty good for that. 
if you were willing to go maybe a little bit further out, Miles Morales straight out of Brooklyn, the Ms. Marvel comics, or another DC one, Harley Quinn Breaking Glass is supposed to be pretty good. And they're all interesting takes on coming of age, but none of them have the Batman and Bat-Kid relationship, which is really what I was trying to trying to get out of this one. So I really think that I only have myself to blame. And for anyone out there who is questioning my tastes, because I saw the reaction to me being a Tim Drake fan, I love Young Justice. And I was hoping, I was hoping for more Bat Kids to show up in this one than did. But it is ultimately a story about Nightwing trying to find his own footing. And Batman's a part of that, but not as much as maybe I want it to be. Is he better than Batman, like the title suggests? Yeah, but that's not hard. Thank you so much, Gabriel. <laughs> I don't know if any of us is Batman fan. I'm, I definitely learned a lot more about Batman than I ever need. I feel like just from your little book talk here. The only thing I care about, about Batman, which you already said, is the Parliament of Owls. That's the only thing I care about. But other than that, do not care about Batman. But anyway, thank you. So just a quick break from our episode here. There's two more to go. We have two more, I don't know what kind of parenthood stories that are coming, but an existential question for the day. This is very not really related to our topic, but as I think about like, you know, how a lot of books have like family tree in the the big saga. I'm assuming some of the things that Fiona love to read, you know, have a lot of like family trees so you can like see what the relationship between all the characters are. So I want to ask my friends here, what is some add-on to a book that you enjoy? Like, is it like a family tree? Is it like a map in a fantasy book? Is it like an author's note at the end? Could it be like one of those like character sketch that show you how the character get evolved in a comic, like in a comic book? What are some of those add-ons that you enjoy seeing? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with actually I love a cast of characters because um, as anyone who has spent time around me knows I am not a very specific person. (laughs) And so generally when I'm reading, I tend to give the characters nicknames like, oh, bossy brother, uptight housewife. And so sometimes when someone is referring to another character and I'm like, who's that? (laughs) Who's that? I'm like three quarters of the way through this book and I have no idea who you're talking about. I don't mind a little like flip back and like, oh, it's uptight housewife, number five. Got it. Okay, got it, got it, got it. So I, I don't mind a cast of characters. I love it, especially when there's extra notes on those characters that the, the, that the author add in, like just some extra like comments about the personality. I find that those are extra fun. Fiona, did Corinne steal your answer? Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. But like when they're right at the front and you open the book and like you're like, OK, I'm going to prep myself for this by like figuring out who people are in advance. But I have a second thing that I like. I like when there might be like cultural notes or what's it called? Like if there's a word in a different language and then there's a definition at the back. That's really nice. I like those like extra learning opportunities. Excellent. How about you, Gabriel? So I do like having a family tree, especially if it's a story that requires a family tree, because otherwise there's no way, especially if you're reading something like Sagas of the Icelanders, in which everybody is Bjorn Bjornsson and you need to know which Bjorn you're referring to, those are lovely. I don't think they bring me joy. I just need them. Versus actually looking at like a map. On the other hand, ironically, I use it far less. I would use a map in a fantasy book far less, but I like looking at it. It's pretty. The actual best that I've seen in a few books, especially newer books, is when the author at the end said, 
I made a playlist for you to listen to while reading yes. this book. <laughs> and that's always really that's always really cute to me. And even if the playlist maybe isn't around anymore, it's one of those things where I'm like, I feel more connected with the mm. author. And so therefore mm. I feel more connected with the story. Nice. I think for me, the only thing I could think of was like the same thing, like, you know, the, the fantasy map, even though I read a lot of them, like they don't really do anything for me. Like they're just like, eh, it's there. But I do love the four panel comic in the end of the manga those is what i love the most because it gives such a different like look to the whole manga like i think the first one i remember seeing those is in full metal alchemist and i just remember like how much fun those i mean it's the book is already fun but it's like sometimes like these really intense action scenes and then at the end it's just this really silly four panel manga in there so that's probably my favorite thing you know in terms of an add-on so yeah well great Thank you, everyone, for answering that. Now, let's go back to some parenting books. I'm going to go first because I think I would like to leave a more positive note to end this episode. <laughs> so let me just get mine over with. How about that? The book that I chose was because, entirely because of a first line of a review that I read from the Washington Post Ron Childs. Ron Childs has said, Kristen Arnett's new novel with teeth is the perfect baby shower gift for someone you hate. And after reading that, I mean, like, how can I pick any other book? Um, so I must and have to read this. So that's the book I have for you today, With Teeth by Kristen Arnett. And I think Fiona said that at the end of your review, you were talking about something about teeth. So, you know, there's also teeth involved in this book, definitely. So Sammy took her son, Samson, to the park to play one day. And when it was time to go, Samson was playing on the swings. You know, he can do it by himself now and he doesn't really need her help anymore. So she said to him, hey, Samson, we're ready to go, okay? Um, I'm just going to go over and pack up. So she went over to the bench pack up all her stuff, throw away her garbage. And as she turned back towards the swings, Samson was gone. He wasn't there anymore. She quickly scanned the other area to see if her son was playing on something else. But nope, her son wasn't there. Sammy started to panic, started to call her son name, Samson, Samson, where are you? And then she spotted him walking with a man holding the man's hand, and they are walking towards the exit. Sammy started running towards them as she yelled even louder, Samson, Samson, what are you doing with my son? Samson, get back here. The man didn't turn around, nor did her son. It was as if they didn't even hear her, even though she was not that far away. And as she started getting closer, running as fast as she can, she saw that the man was fishing out his keys to try to open his car's door. And Samson looked up at the man and he smiled. And that smile almost stopped Sammy from running because her son has never smiled at her that way before. She ran the rest of the way. When she got caught up to them, she yanked Samson away from the man. Get away from my son. You're trying to kidnap him. And the guy's like, whoa, lady. No, no. I was just trying to show him my truck. He said he loves trucks. And meanwhile, Samuel was trying 
extra hard to hold on to Samson because Samson was squirming. He was trying to get away from Sammy and she tightened her grip as much as she can find to fight her child. And her child was just pulling harder and harder, trying to get away. And she keeps trying to yell at the man, you stay here. I'm going to call the cops right now. And the man was like, okay, whatever. And the man trying to get into the car. And as he was pulling away, Sammy knew that there's nothing she could do. She didn't even have a phone with her. It was left in the park with all her stuff. And she was banging on the car door as the man drove away. When her wife, Monica, got home from work, she was telling Monica all about this, the man who was trying to kidnap their son. But Monica didn't seem to think too much of it. In fact, it almost sounds like Monica didn't even believe her. She was not sympathetic at all. Maybe because Samson is fine. Samson is here. It's safe. It's not as serious as Sammy made it out to be. And Sammy, of course, was so frustrated. Again, of course, Monica doesn't get it. Of course, she doesn't think anything is serious. She doesn't understand what it is like to be the primary caregiver of their child. Monica, who gets to go to work. Monica, who gets to keep her job. Monica, who gets to go out with friends. Everything is left to Sammy to clean, to cook, to take care of the son, to deal with him every single day. And not just that, her son has never shown her any sign of affection, even if she was the one who carried her son and she was the one who gave birth to him. Samson just doesn't seem attached at all to Sammy. Now, at this point, I was wondering, okay, where is Kristen Arnett taking this book? Is it going to be one of these baby teeth by Zoe's stage where we're going to have this child whom everybody thinks is so sweet and innocent, but yet the parent know they are not? Is it going to be like a thriller, like Tekken style, where we're going to see like parents doing everything to protect their child from a kidnapper? Oh, none of the above. With Teeth turns out to be a brutally honest and unflinching look at what parenthood does to a person. The darkest thoughts that you are not supposed to have as a parent are all on the page. Those fleeting ideas, those what if, those give only all those thoughts that even as you think about them, you feel so bad that you've even thought about it that way. All those dark things are all here in the book. We have Sammy who is trying her best to be a good mother and she just doesn't cut it. She doesn't know where did she go wrong. She doesn't understand her child at all. And her son just remains detached, remains sometimes downright hostile to her. And she doesn't know what to do. And she has no support. With Teeth did such a good job of not just illustrating how the pressure that all parents feel, but especially the parenthood for this lesbian couple, the pressure that they feel even more than others to be perfect because she can just feel people are looking, looking at her, judging her, 
all the time and waiting for her to fail because in their mind, what do two women know about raising a boy? How? How can they do that? And they are just waiting to see them fail. And for Monica, she's trying to create this picture-perfect image of the family, take the right photos to make sure that it always looks like they have a loving family. But Sammy, no, that's not true. That's not how her family actually is. And any time when Sammy just does something for herself, when she feels just a little bit selfish and try to do something for her, something fun, just to reward herself, just to give herself a break. And sometimes that could lead to a lapse of judgment and really bad decision. Immediately, she feels so guilty and so awful about just taking a little bit of time for herself. And she starts wondering, am I really a bad parent? And then, well, maybe it's not me. Maybe it's Samson. Why can't I have a child that will love me? Why can't I have a child that cares for me? Why can't I have a girl? What if Samson is a girl? What would that be like? If I have a daughter, surely our relationship won't be like this. I would be able to understand her more and not this boy eventually growing up into an angry teenager that she just doesn't get and they butt heads all the time. And she just started to think perhaps maybe if this is a girl, things will be different. And as we watch Sammy and her son, Samson, as we watch their relationship and her relationship with her wife, Monica, as they deteriorate and it disintegrate, Sammy doesn't even know how to restart. It's too late for her. Parenthood has taken so much from her that she doesn't even have a life anymore. She doesn't know what that is like anymore. She used to be this fun, loving, bar hopping, miniskirt wearing lesbian. Now she can't get back into that anymore. And she doesn't know what to do. And she feels just absolutely alone. But at the same time, as we are reading this, because we are so involved in Sammy's head and we're so entrenched in her interpretation of what happened or what she sees as what happened, Kristen Arnett ends every chapter with a little bit of a point of view from a different character. It could be a person that Sammy and Samson met on the street, or maybe a store clock that they happen to have an interaction with, or maybe it's Samson's teacher. Just every chapter ends with just a slightly different point of view. And from there, we get to see sometimes quite a little bit different of what actually happens of maybe, maybe, just maybe, a lot of things that we just heard is what Sammy things happen, and perhaps it is not the actual event at all. And that's what makes this book so, so interesting, because it is such a character study of Sammy and all the things that she has to go through as a parent. But at the same time, it also tackles that what you think is truth and how you paint that picture for yourself. I think Fiona has a dark book. This is a dark book in a very different way. 
And I listened to some of this on audiobook. I remember, like in the car, I was cringing. I was actually like leaning away from the speakers as I was listening to some of these scenes because I'm like, oh, oh, like no. And it, I, I don't think I've ever done that. And you know, probably not the best thing to listen in the car if I'm like trying to lean away from the sound that is coming out from my speakers because it's that type of book, it's that type of cringe worthy book. But it is so well done, so well done, so honest. And it is also, I really appreciate sort of having this insight into a different kind of parenthood that don't get represented in books very often. So really, really appreciate that. It's not just about parenthood. It's about a queer relationship. And there's just a lot of things that Kristen Arnett have to say to readers. And so despite how cringe-worthy this book is, and definitely not paint a very rosy picture of parenthood, um, and as Ron Chow said, and he's right about it, a book that you want to give someone, give you hate them for a baby shower, I would still highly, highly recommend you to give this book a try. So it is With Teeth by Kristen Arnett. What fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Super fun. But like I said, I, I really, really appreciate this book. So Corinne, take us away. Take us away <laughs> from all of this. Oh, I don't know. This topic was kind of like next to impossible because I, I went through the books that I had read and realized because of the genres that I am interested in is that most of the books about parenthood included children killing their parents and then parents killing their children, which I didn't think was the most appropriate thing to talk about. So I had to go back. So this is a bit of a backlist bump. This is not a newer book. I believe it came out in 2014 to get a positive parenting book so that we can end on a positive ish theme. So I got to I got to trot out that old Leo Tolstoy quote that all happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And for Alma and Orturo, they can pinpoint the moment exactly as to when their family changed from being a happy family to an unhappy family. Arturo and Alma are living in Mexico. They have a beautiful daughter named Mirabel, who is 15 years old. And she is a beauty. She is smart. She's clever. Um, she is beloved by everyone. And the family is very comfortable and really enjoy and love their life. Arturo is, is warm. He loves his family. He's a wonderful provider for them. Alma worries a little bit, but, but really appreciates the life that she has. And so one day, Mirabel, Mirabel accompanies them to the worksite where Arturo is working and they dote on their daughter. They love her. And so when she asks for the opportunity to help Arturo doing something and climbs up the ladder to affix something onto a roof, Alma's attention shifts for just a moment, just a split second between her holding the ladder that goes up for two stories to letting it go and hearing a horrible crash. Alma is haunted by the sound of her daughter's body hitting the ground. And that exact moment 
is where their family goes from being happy and safe and secure to being unhappy. Mirabelle suffers a traumatic brain injury, and she is no longer the child that Alma knows. But Alma and Arturo believe, they have to believe that somewhere inside there is still the daughter that they knew. And so they decide to uproot their entire lives, uproot their entire family to give Mirabelle a chance at getting back to who she was or having the same life that they wanted her to have. So they decide to immigrate to Newark in Delaware. Arturo leaves behind his good job, his lucrative career, to work at a mushroom farm. The entire family moves into a small, low-income apartment called the Kirkwood Apartments. They don't even have enough money to buy mattresses. They kind of have to find them secondhand, where they live with many other immigrants from Latin America. And they go here in the hopes that Mirabelle will be able to attend a special school for children with intellectual disabilities or who have had a brain injury in the hopes that if she's able to attend this school, everything will be fixed. Everything will go back to the way it was. And Mirabelle can go back to being the Mirabelle that they used to know. This is a, oh, it's a, it's a hard, beautiful book about Alma, but it also talks about the different immigrant experiences of the people living in this Kirkwood apartment. Alma very quickly makes friends with Celia, who her and her family came over from Panama 15 years ago. They're a little bit settled. They know how to navigate a little bit more of the school system and the, the strangeness of American culture. They become very, very fast friends. And Mirabelle becomes very, very good friends with Celia's son, Major. And what develops between them is a little bit of a relationship that neither family is really willing to acknowledge. Mirabella can't speak fluidly or fluently in English or in Spanish and is, is fairly unresponsive to her parents. But when she talks to Major, they find a way to communicate. They find a way to to really share their feelings and emotions. And Mayer sees that Mirabelle inside that she doesn't always show to her parents. She's funny and warm and wry, but her parents don't see that part of her anymore. This is a wonderful, warm, sad, very, very well-written book. It's called The Book of Unknown Americans by Christina Henriquez. And it is all about the love and the sacrifices that parents make for their children. And specifically, this book is talking about that Latin American, that Mexican experience of of putting everything aside to give their daughter a chance of possibility. There's, There's a wonderful quote from the book when Alma is kind of considering all that she has done. And she says, the surge of possibility, the tug of doubt. Had we done the right thing coming here? Of course, I know the answer. We had done what we had to do. If you are looking for, oh, it's so tough. I feel like none of us had a happy, a happy parenting story, but a really 
beautifully written, beautifully observed story about, about parenting, about families, about a little bit of a love story, about the immigrant experience in the United States and, and what it takes to kind of start anew in the hopes of giving your children a better life. I mean, Henriquez writes beautifully. There's another quote that she says um, when talking about being Latin American in the United States. She says, I felt the way I often felt in this country, simultaneously conspicuous and invisible, like an oddity whom everyone noticed but chose to ignore. I think that Henriquez is a wonderful observer of society and culture and characters. You will laugh. You're going to cry, like straight up. I'm so sorry. You're going to cry. You're going to cry. As I was trying to explain to Virginia, she's like, is yours a positive book? I'm like, well, the parenting is very positive. There is one death though. So, you know, there is that sadness there. There is um, a a scene of sexual assault. Um, It was in the book as well, just so that you're aware of that. But it is a beautifully observed um, portrait of, mothers and daughters and fathers and daughters and 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 trying to to start over and do do the best that you can do yeah oh it was so good I just remember how much I cried at the end of this I'm like oh we really wanted to end this on a high note Virginia we did I I still think it's a higher note than probably most of ours because I think like you said it's now I appreciate knowing what parents do you know, when you are trying to move your whole family to a different place, I don't think I appreciate it before, but I definitely do now. And, you know, you realize how much, how much they sacrifice. And I think that is ultimately what parents do for their kids, you know, in so many different ways. So, yeah. So that is a high note, I do think. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. I think, I think the deep irony in this potentially a little messed up episode is that Batman might have been the best parent that we talked to. <laughs> that is scary. Not just, <laughs> not just I'm stick up for Alma here. I have to stick up. She tried so hard. Okay, no, that's true. No, that's she true. She tried okay. so hard. She's not the best parent. How about this? Most positive outcome because Dick Grayson is a functioning positive member of outcome. society yes. who gives back. Okay. They're go. okay. Incredibly wealthy. You know, like all the things that like stereotypically you want for a child, it, you know, other than some emotional and physical trauma, he's mostly fine. So, yeah, didn't expect Batman to be the one coming out on top on this one. There you go. There you go. Well, well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, my book friends, for finding a parenting book. I think we all maybe, I don't know, learn a bit more about her. I don't know. I don't know. We have to talk to some real parents. We're just going to go find Sadie and, and Liz to, to find out what it is really like. Um, so yeah, so this episode is for you, Sadie and Liz. We did it just for you, all of us. No, I mean, so like, we, sorry. we... <laughs> oh, but yes. They are all good. They're all great books, though, right? Maybe, 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 you know, in terms of the theme, uh, Gabriel is like, I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, well, you know, um, <laughs> let's just end there. Let's just end on this, this note. You know, I think they are all good books. So we do recommend them. They are good read for somebody, I am sure, like all books are. We'll be back next week. So um, tune in again. We hope to see you all soon. So have a great week and we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. 
You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Thank you.